Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. and welcome to Paradise Island. This is Under Consultation, a huge episode-by-episode podcast through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and I've participated in the building of many erections throughout this podcast. And taking you up the wrong end, beat of town, (laughs) I am Ash Versus. That beat is very, very important. This episode aired on the 26th of November 1997 and there's no change in any charts as the full Monty remains top of the UK box office, Aqua's Barbie Girl is still top of the pops and Final Fantasy VII remains top of the video game charts. I am really excited for next week, Luke, because, you know, Full Monty, it's a great film, don't get me wrong. It was great for the British film industry. For those listening, sideways looks at each other. But next week, next week, we get to talk more about Alien Resurrection. And I'm really looking forward to that because not only did I watch Alien Resurrection before we talked about it last time, I've since watched the extended cut again as well. So uh-huh. I've, I've compared and contrasted. Oh, excellent. I'm very intrigued to hear things. I've not seen it since I did a I did an Alien movie marathon eight or so years ago when we did Alien through to, at that point, just Prometheus. It's been a while since I've actually sat down to watch it. I will try between now and when we next record to watch Alien Resurrection. And if I don't get it done for a three, I'll try and get it done for four. I mean, even just the standard cut is on Disney Plus. So it's an easy online watch without one. I'll tell you what, let's cover some of the other film and TV news that we have had. On November 26, in excess singer Michael Hutchins is found dead at the age of 37. And and it will be the butt of many jokes on Never Mind the Buzzcocks for years to come afterwards. Paula Yates has tonight arrived in Australia, where police hope she'll be able to help with their investigation into the death of her boyfriend, Michael Hutchins. Earlier, they rejected speculation that the rock star died when a bizarre sex game went wrong. Chris Roberts reports. 
At the hotel where his life suddenly ended, friends and fans of Michael Hutchins have been mourning his death. Although the reasons for his apparent suicide remain a mystery, the shock of his death has stunned Australians from all walks of life. Those sort of events are tragic. It, it takes from the Australian and world rock scene uh, one of our most gifted and talented performers. Rumours the singer died when a bizarre sexual experiment went wrong have angered his family. Suicide, however, appeared far from the star's mind when dining with his father the night before his death. He was very happy. He had a wonderful evening. There was lots of laughter and it was just, he had a great night. We all had a great night. This is a special tribute program to Michael Hutchins. The industry that made him famous has been paying its own respects to Michael Hutchins' music stations jammed with calls from distraught fans. The other members of his band In Excess, meanwhile, said they were in shock at the loss of a dear friend. Chris Roberts, ITN. Uh, and a few days later, Will Smith released his debut solo album, Big Willie Style. And if there's one thing that we can say, it's that that album slaps. see what you did there that's topical <laughs> <laughs> it's topical for a year old which actually if it, you know with this podcast is bang up to date it's in the future it's it you know that that reference has a flying car uh, and last little bit of tv notage from me on this same night that this episode aired the 26th of november 1997 the uk premiere of train spotting aired on channel four and that will be the airing that I probably taped off the telly and then watched without my parents knowing. Uh, but Ash, before we get into the show, is there anything uh, worth noting from the magazine? We've got a letter here, which has the heading, I've been cheated. Dear Games Master, I've just bought a second-hand copy of Mario Kart for the SNES. Although it's a great game, I quickly ran into trouble with it. It's all right, I thought. I'll just look it up in Games Master. They'll have something on it for sure. So I faithfully hold out every issue from number one. And do you know what I found? Absolutely nothing. Nada, niente, nothing. Not one player's guide and not even a feature. All I did manage to turn up was one measly cheat tucked away in the 1996 Games Master Diary. I was shocked. Is this any way to treat a game that came seventh in your last all-time top 100? A game that was the biggest release of its time? I know it was already out when your magazine started, but that is no reason to ignore it. Yes, it is. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me that I missed something. I know it's a bit late complaining about it now. It is. It is. <laughs> but until I'm proved wrong, I'll remain really rather miffed at you. Suzanne Leeming, not. Uh, I think Suzanne is proven quite wrong in her own letter. By, by her own words basically shows why she is wrong in her estimation of this with the line of i know the game had already been out by the time that your magazine was launched so why would games master magazine have a four page tip spread on a game that at that point was about six months old i don't know if you take the tv series as a lead series one did end with a duck hunt challenge that's slightly different than they were limited in what they had hold of true true but she is right. It's, you know, it is a groundbreaking game. And I'm sure, I'm fairly certain, like, Nintendo Magazine System and CVG and the like, they definitely had features, but clearly Suzanne knows brand loyalty. But Games Master Magazine replies, We've looked high and indeed a little low for any signs of a tip special for Super Mario Karts. They've got a case of the Virtue of Fighters with this one. 
We're sorry, Suzanne, but we couldn't find a darn thing anywhere. Les is sure that we did do a special on it once, but he's got no idea where to find it. So it looks as though we may owe this great game an apology. You may have to get in touch with the Games Master, who's currently away at an intergalactic synchronised xylophone playing competition. Such a busy man. (laughs) Which is terrifying now because he's the sun. Also, just a super quick letter to end this on. Dear Games Master, happy Crimbo chaps. See you soon. Love you all loads. From Lara in China. Oh, really now? Yes. But that seems bizarre to me because I'm pretty sure at the end of last week's episode, Dom told us that she wasn't real. I mean, it's Christmas, Luke. Are we going to get into the Santa Claus debate? I mean, I guess so. And, you know, he is a man and I've I've seen a man and a man's a man. He's just an innocent man. He's just an innocent man. Good evening and welcome to Games Master, where a man's work is never done. You know, trying to get the girls off their knees to do some hard work is like trying to get jokes out of a Shane Ritchie. (laughs) Obviously, uh, underwear is at a premium when you're on a desert island. But I try to make sure that we meet each new day with a clean pair of pants. Unfortunately, washing takes its toll. For example, I can hardly fit into these now. It's a hard life here on Paradise Island because the girl Fridays won't stop blowing Dom to go and do some washing, so he's got to do it himself. But Luke, it did allow us to take a pot shot at Shane Ritchie, and truly, <laughs> is any intro wasted if that happens? I mean, this intro is uh, very indicative of Series 7 at this point, really, isn't it? Which is just, it's lots of pants jokes, and it's lots of knob gags, and it's taking pot shots at other light entertainers. Yeah, Season 7, two episodes in, is already establishing a nicely familiar pattern. I really like this intro, particularly and that opening shot as well of... Dom pulling down that big pair of pants with a little cheeky smile on his face to be like a, good evening. I'm pretty sure that shot is used in the episode 10 series wrap-up episode because it's almost like the perf... When I I go through these uh, episodes and I often think to myself like, oh, that'll be an image we put up on the Twitter when we're promoting the episode. That is 100% going to be one of the images used that I screen grab to put up to promote the episode on Twitter. I may even make a gif of that for you because I think that one in particular deserves a bit of a gif on it. (laughs) It's so good. But, Girl Fridays, what is in today's budgie smuggling show? Khalif wrapped their pants off with Parappa the Rapper. But we begin with an event we call Oi Bloke Fiddle Around With My Character. I particularly love Oi Bloke Fiddle Around With My Character. The reason why I like it is because Dom, throughout Series 6 and Series 5, used to do the Oi Bloke blank 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 but having the girl fridays do it is just somehow funnier i don't know is it also a knob gag or is it just innuendo i'm not quite sure how to read this i mean it could be taken either way so to speak yeah i think so it, i and i maybe that is what they were intending for but i mean a hell of an episode it's got a challenge that we've already kind of talked about in ucp live too and yeah Mortal Kombat 4, which we also touched upon last week. Well, let's find out what our challenge is. What are we playing, Games Master? With Mortal Kombat 4 finally reaching our shores, I searched long and hard to find three contestants debauched enough to play the game to a professional level. They have the show's duration to demonstrate their fighting skills by discovering as many special moves and fatalities as possible. After that, I will decide which challenger has made the most ghastly impression of the evening, and my decision is final. This 
is the Mortal Kombat I kind of missed. Yeah, uh, me too. I played 1-2 Trilogy, and then kind of I went off the, the boil a little bit. I played the, the 2D, um, the side-scroller, and then I didn't play a Mortal Kombat game, really, until we got sort of towards Mortal Kombat 10. I think it was probably the next time I really picked up a Mortal Kombat game. I played almost all of them to some degree, but I didn't really play them. I actually spent more time going back and playing the older Mortal Kombat games. The next Mortal Kombat game that I really, really sunk my teeth into was Mortal Kombat. The one that looked back and went, right, we're going to make all of this make sense if it kills us. And they kind of took the entire long, meandering, occasionally contradictory mythology and made it into one narrative. And I still argue that for me personally, if I want to play a fighting game just for the joy of playing a fighting game, I play Street Fighter. If I want to play a fighting game to have a batch of Gonzo story mode, it's Mortal Kombat all the way. Because that game is just the biggest B-movie ever. The only other uh, MK game, and I, I didn't get into this, but my housemates at university were really into Mortal Kombat Shaolin Monks, which was like the 3D scrolling beat-em-up version. I also know that former guests Ketchup and Mustard really, really like that game. Yeah, my housemates loved it. They thought it was awesome. I think it was Mustard was actually streaming it a month or so ago. Like, he just goes back and he was just like, yeah, we're going to do some Shaolin Monks, let's go. <laughs> so yeah, like you, MK4 is a bit of a blind spot. I actually don't think I've ever played it. I have, and I'm trying to remember which version it is. I'm fairly certain it might have been Mortal Kombat Gold on the Dreamcast because... I got my Dreamcast just after Sega had basically abandoned it, which means I got the Dreamcast very cheap, and I got loads of games for no money. And I think there was a period of time where I'm just like, what's that? Mortal Kombat? That'll be two quid. But I probably just, like, didn't really play it, and I don't even think I've still got it now. I've still got a lot of those games that I picked up cheap, including the Shenmue's and so on and so forth. But yeah, Mortal Kombat Gold? That one's disappeared. Because it's, it's on the 64, isn't it, Mortal Kombat 4? I was trying to think, like, why I wouldn't have played this. There was a PlayStation, there was a Nintendo 64, there was PC, there was a Game Boy Color, and, and then there was Mortal Kombat Gold, which was released for the Dreamcast. The versions on CD-ROM had FMV sequences, had better music, yada, 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 and the Nintendo 64 version was the Nintendo 64 version with that controller. There was a PlayStation version. I don't know why I wouldn't have played it then, considering how much I did like the Mortal Kombat series. I guess by that point, I had just decided that Street Fighter was my lane, and that was the lane that I remained in. Because so when I think back to my PlayStation uh, career, if you will, uh, it was Alpha 3, X-Men vs. Street Fighter, Marvel Super Heroes, um, Marvel Super Heroes vs. Capcom. Like that, I was very much just in that Capcom 2D fighting realm. For me, it was the Alpha series on the PlayStation. I bloody loved the Alpha series. But we're not talking about Street Fighter, even though we could talk about Street Fighter. We are talking about Mortal Kombat 4, the kind of evolution of the series up to 3D. So doing away with the digitized graphics of the first three games and also making it bloodier and gorier than any of the previous ones. And I would wager... This challenge does definitely show that, if nothing else, they put a lot more ketchup in this one. Which is funny as well, because the idea for 
Mortal Kombat 4 was to try to remove some of the like the more comical elements that were certainly in 3 but also within 2 as well and try and make this a feel much more like gorier and, and you know and, and more serious if you will but I think because they're 3D characters and they're not digitized actors and the blood is so much this looks more comical than any of the other games that have come before it. I actually think, like, I get why they had to move to 3D because everything was moving to 3D, but I think the move to 3D really actually hurt Mortal Kombat in terms of how it looked anyway. Kind of took away one of its unique selling points and now it was just another 3D fighting game, albeit a hyper-violent one. And there was plenty of those on the market as well. I mean, it's not like that the move to 3D was entirely embraced because looking at it, Ed Boon was sceptical. He was just like, I'm not sure how this is going to work. He was worried the gameplay would be slower. He basically decided to start mimicking Street Fighter EX. Well, I say mimicking. He kind of used the timings of Street Fighter EX as his basis. And, of course, with no longer digitized sprites, the whole need to film martial artists disappeared. And so what you actually ended up with was just a couple of people, including Boone, filming themselves doing moves just to give them a frame of reference for hand-animating the 3D models. But Midway had faith, and Midway were going to pimp the hell out of it. There was a road trip around the United States, 35 different appearances, showing off, at that point, still incomplete game. It only had nine characters, including Noob Cybot, who would become a hidden character when it came to the home console ports. But this was enough to get the hype train rolling for Mortal Kombat 4, And now, here we arrive. It's fresh in the arcades and it's fresh on our screens with this Games Master Challenge. I mean, and you mentioned earlier that Game Boy Color release of of Mortal Kombat 4. It's one of those cases where you look at it and it's like, is it good? Probably not, but darn impressive that they managed to get this. And really, when you look at it, it looks more like a Mortal Kombat game than the burnished version of Mortal Kombat 4 does. Yeah, because, I mean, they have to go 2D. Yeah, It's the only option. But still have speech in there and even like, you know, I'm going to Bucky O'Hare is FMV sequences. I think it's a darn little impressive conversion or demaster, if you will. Yeah, demake. Yeah, demake, exactly. But this is one of those challenges. We've we've had a few of these now across five, six and into seven, which is that it's a show long challenge where you're taking three players who are really good at Mortal Kombat games, in this case, Mortal Kombat sitting them on the arcade machine, presumably having never played the game before, Bucky O'Hare is, to try and find the most impressive thing you possibly can within the game. So maybe that is a great combo or the best fatality or whatever it is. So we don't really kind of get to see exactly how that is formatted in the show. But my guess is that you're sort of given, you've got 10 minutes, the next person gets 10 minutes, next person gets 10 minutes, you then get 10 minutes or maybe you just get a fight you get a fight you get a fight and they just sort of do a just go round and round i was assuming it was either one or two fights and then just keep chopping around and around and going round robin with it interesting to note they always seem to be playing as player two i thought that as well thought it was very odd that they were always there anything around the motherboard of mortal kombat 4 today please welcome mark griffin mikey pasco and neil farden Alright, Mikey. Alright, Neil. Now, Mark, first of all, we've Games Master before, haven't we? Yep, yep. Uh, a couple of years ago, if I remember correctly, you had just been chocked. Yeah. And we uh, we uh, tried to get you a new girlfriend. Yes, indeed. Do you have a girlfriend now? I do. 
That is the beauty of television. That is the wonder of this show. Uh, Mikey, now you repair stuff by trade, but you like to do a bit of DJing in your bedroom. Oh, yeah, man. What kind of stuff then? Do you cut? Is that the right word? Do you cut? Yeah, man, cutting, scratching. Uh -huh. Just cut. you sitting in your bedroom, maybe yeah. your whippers. <laughs> Get cut with mates around and that's a bit rapid and that, you know? No DJs have got names and everything. What would you what would you name me? It's Mikey P, man. DJ Mikey P? Yeah, man. I like that. That's good. Uh, Neil, you said you're the very first uh, scaffolder that we've ever had on the show. I've got an interest in scaffolding. I've participated in the building of many erections myself. What most appealed to you about scaffolding? The money, Dominic, definitely. A lot of money in, involved? Um, fairly, yeah. Uh -huh. Pays well. And do you still do any of it now? Um, on and off. It's not right. something I want to continue doing, but it uh, pays the rent. Have you, have you come to terms with the absence of scaffolding in your life now? You feel you have safely To a certain it? extent, I have, yeah. Was it a wrench? To begin with, but I've got used to it now. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, we, I only hope this challenge will help Neil come to terms with his um, non-scaffolding life now. Mark, of course, was on last series in the Killer Instinct Challenge. They talk about it a little bit later on in the show. They don't up front instead just talk about his girlfriend because, of course, it is at Series 7. But yeah, he was in the Killer Instinct Challenge in the last series. Didn't do so great. Came third in the challenge, unfortunately. I kind of wish they had mentioned it more because... Spoilers, it's a redemption arc for him. And I think that this is one of those things where making more of that redemption arc would have been a really, really nice bit of storytelling. Obviously, they couldn't have known he was going to win, but even if he'd lost, it would have still been an interesting story. It would have still been that kind of like, can he win? He can't, but he's still a victor in defeat. I, I get what you mean as well, because you even if he doesn't win, you could have just set it up so that it was a it's a potential story you could have at the end of the episode but that's not really what games master's looking to do uh, in this day and age you know the questions are have you got a girlfriend what do you do in your bedroom making erection jokes with the scaffolding lads like it is just going out of its way to not talk about video games neil the scaffolder is an interesting one i mean i've We'll, we'll get back to Mikey, but Neil the Scaffolder is an interesting one because he's trying to outgag Dom. He's come prepared. It does not seem to go down well. There is a moment later in the episode where Dom just completely goes, nope, not, not having it. Which I find so surprising because I would have thought, if anything, Dom would have appreciated that. I think he would have if the joke had been a bit more... Finessed. I mean, I know it sounds weird to talk about kind of finesse and quality when it comes to a dick joke, but really the joke that he delivers and that Don blanks is half a step away from him just going, I got my cock out. I had a wank. Yeah. I had a wank. There is no innuendo. There's just endo. In all fairness, it's not far removed from what Dom does on the show. I don't know. I think Dom's got a little bit more style, a little bit more panache, and to be fair, a little bit more restraint. Not much, but a modicum. I, I think you and I might fall on different sides of the coin on this one because I thought uh, Neil was was actually very entertaining on this show. I really like he was the guy like Mark was on there to, you know, for the redemption arc. Mikey, the DJ, felt like a product of, of series four where, you know, I'm being asked questions, but don't ask me questions. I just want to play the game. Just put me in front of the console so I can play the game now. You know, like a proper early series interview style thing. Neil's the only one who feels like, aside from Mark, obviously, who's watched the show. 
and knows exactly what he's going in for, knows what the tone of the show is, and just tries to have a laugh with the crew. Perhaps that's what it is. He's almost trying to be too pally with them when he's not a pal of theirs. Also, and I just noticed this in my notes, maybe the reason Dom no-sells his joke later is because Neil no-sells one of Dom's jokes here. Oh, well, the, the erections joke? No, no, the absence of scaffolding. You know, well, you know, what's it like to not have scaffolding in your life anymore? Was it a wrench? Wrench, as in what you use to assemble and disassemble scaffolding. And Neil no-sells it. He's just like, yeah, I'm, I don't really want to be a scaffolder. So maybe Dom no-selling the joke later is, turnabout is fair play. You're not going to sell my joke? I'm not going to sell yours. I mean, again, I'm going to fall on the side of Neil here. I think Neil's joke was better. I thought it felt forced, more so than some of the others. I was going to say, on a show like this, I don't think a joke like that can feel that forced. Uh, although I will, when Dom has this joke about erections, putting kids' laughter in there is a very weird touch. Anyway, on with the challenge. The trio head to the machine while Dom introduces one of Games Master's unique selling points. Derek Lynch. You watch your guest master on Channel 4, there's many shows on the station, only one of them will give you the magic of Mr. Derek Lynch from Namco Wonder Parks. Hello, Derek. Derek, Hi, Derek. Uh, now, we're on Mortal Kombat 4. By the year 2000, are we going to be on Mortal Kombat 10, or are people getting tired of beat-em-ups? Tell you the truth, Tommy, people will never get tired of beat-em-ups. Really? Yep. They'll be here in the year 2000. Uh, will you be here in the year 2000? Of course. What will you and be way doing? beyond. What will you be doing in the year 2000, Derek? Probably be uh, flying a spaceship of some kind. Flying a spaceship? <laughs> Where did that one come from? <laughs> now, Derek, uh, if we can get back in touch with, with reality for yeah. a second. <laughs> now, the guys have got to find the best moves that they can on Mortal Kombat 4. What's your advice? Well, I think what they should do is try some of the commands they know from Mortal Kombat 1, 2 and 3 mm -hmm. and do some slight variations on those commands and see what comes out. So Dom in the book speaks very highly of Derek Lynch and talks very glowingly about how you would just put him in front of the camera and without knowing it, he provides gold because he just says things. He doesn't really think, he just says things. And it's hilarious. And he doesn't realize how funny he is. And you can see that in this little interaction that him and, and Derek have, which is just, you know, Dom asks him a question and Derek has an answer about how he's going to be flying in a spaceship in the year 2000. And Dom's like, that's the funniest thing I've heard all episode. Like, this is great. Where did that come from? Like, you pull these things out of thin air. Like, you're a really, really funny guy. It's a very, very sweet relationship that these two have on screen. Derek appears to be, like here, a very entertaining guy, very funny, knows his games. He's not uncomfortable on camera, but I think he feels this pressure to deliver, which means that sometimes he does just say the first thing that comes into his head because he's like, maybe this will work. So yeah, I'm going to be flying a spaceship in the year 2000. Everyone's going to love beat-em-ups there. We'll have Mortal Kombat 10 in the year 2000. Technically, it won't be until 2015, but we will get a Mortal Kombat 10 eventually. And yeah, it's, it's gold whether it works or not, because if it lands, it's hilarious. And if it doesn't, it's just surreal. It's just very, very surreal. He is a is a bizarre little man, and particularly because this is an era. I say it's an era. There's always the show's always been this way. You get one take. There are there are no redos in the world of Games Master. It's not that sort of production. So Derek just has mad things to say. Leaving the spaceship to one side, Dominic drags us kicking and screaming back to the real world and says to Derek, "Okay, 
stop playing Kerbal Space Program. What is the advice for the game we're playing now? And Derek comes up with the incredibly sane and smart and realistic suggestion of try the combos and the commands from 1, 2, and 3, and vary from there. You're going to do a forward, down, down, forward punch, try a forward, down, down, forward kick, or invert it so it's back, down, back, down. Just work your way through it. You've only got a limited amount of time. Try those combos, try those moves that you know have worked in previous games, because it's not a massive departure in a control perspective. So it's really, really smart. And we then cut over to Mark, who's already sat at the machine, and he's doing exactly what Derek has said, which, to be honest, I think he'd be doing without Derek having suggested it, because it's just the smart thing to do. I imagine the Virtua Fighter challenge we had about finding combos, that's what they were doing there as well. They were trying combos and moves that they knew had worked in previous places. And we see some ice balls, we see some throws, nothing too groundbreaking, nothing that's really showing off this new game. But it shows the start of a process. Two things for me to note here is, or three things, I suppose. First off, you're right. Derek is correct. Try what you know and vary it up from there because you might be able to find some new things. Secondly, I got a proper big laugh because the big Quan Chi face is on the side of that cabinet. And there is a, a Twitter feed called Daily MK4 that just posts up pictures of that arcade cabinet out in the wild with just that big face on it. In fact, <laughs> an image of this episode of Games Master has appeared on that feed before because it's just it's a brilliant little uh, arcade design. And three, I was really thinking about what you said on last week's episode about the Tomb Raider challenge and how it felt quite bitty. And I didn't really feel like I got much of a full challenge out of it. I kind of had that with the Mortal Kombat 4 challenge here because we have Dom and the Girl Friday's intro. Then we have the interview with the three contestants. Then we speak with Derek for a little bit. So then we really get 20 seconds of actual game playing and then it's to the news. And it's one of those, again, that's not really what this show is about anymore. But also for me, it's the sort of thing I want to be seeing on the show. It would have been nice to have just seen maybe at least one full round, not even a full match, but one full round from each contestant. And that's the thing. It didn't have to be like at the beginning or the end. They could have like done commentary on half a dozen different bouts. Mm. And that would have just given them something to work from and shown us a complete bout to see maybe a bit of the thought process, a bit of, you know, what what's going on in this move finding rather than just going, well, they're underway. This is what they've already found. We're going to go to news when we come back. We'll see a few more clips. It's a bit jarring. And it it is the exact same problem as the Tomb Raider challenge. I say problem. It's a choice. It's yeah. a problem for me. It's not how I like to see these challenges. I completely agree. One way around that would have just been doing what you did last week of just, we join in progress. So they've already been playing it for an hour and then you can show us what they've already done from there. Yeah. Or when you cut across to give an update, sure, you could show a few clips, but you could even just give us 30 seconds, like maybe keep them there as a picture in picture while you're showing some of the clips. So you're at least getting some sense of passage of time and kind of evolution of, of skill and scale. Sega, once a giant of the home console market, have taken something of a battering recently with Saturn sales looking decidedly ropey. But Sega added out of your ring yet. Rumours abound that their next console will make the N64 look like a small root vegetable. Pad filling arcade games like Lost World, Scud Racer and Virtua Fighter 3, which use Sega's Model 3 technology, will appear on the new machine codenamed Dural, and it should dump on the opposition. 
So our first news item we've got here kind of ties into something that you and I were talking about during the in-between episodes. Yeah, it's the Sega Saturn follow-up, and Dom, pulling no punches here, goes, yeah, Sega had the <gasps> kicked out of them. So they've already moved on to the next project. Oh, man, it's so sad, isn't it? Like, I know it's nothing new because we've been talking about this a lot throughout six and now into seven the magazine has been banging on about this as well but the saturn is a dead console and it's every news item that was on games master or every review that was on games master really was like a that's not great is it but hopefully this game will be the good one and now here we are this is really the final death throes of it which is just that we decided we're done with the Saturn. I mean, apparently, when I was reading up about this earlier, development of Saturn 2, you know, as it was at one point going to be called, they did think about having it as just like an add-on to the Saturn, kind of like what the 3DX was, was in development before the Saturn was released because they were already decided that the Saturn probably wasn't going to do that well. Yeah, they were already just, you know, getting ready to send it out to the farm where it can run in the fields and frolic with the Nomad and the 32X and, and all those and the Game Gear and the Neptune. Exactly. All of these little ideas that they had that they thought would be the next big thing for them. But here we have, I guess, this first indicator of what will be a console that will apparently make the N64 look like a small root vegetable. I've gone with a parsnip. Yeah, I had carrots. Just, just my personal taste. I prefer parsnips to carrots in cooked form. Raw, no contest. Carrots, they're great. You can dip them in anything. But when it comes to cooked, a nice roast parsnip, particularly when they get crunchy, when you get mm. like kind of almost like like the crunchy bits of chips from the chip shop. Parsnips are something I don't get to have very often because my wife doesn't like them. So we don't have them in the house that often, even if we are going to do a Sunday roast. I'll cook your parsnips sometime. It'll be great. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Do like a parsnip soup, me. Ooh. Ooh, do you know what? I've not had parsnip soup. Oh, it's good. Love a parsnip soup, me. Like a bit of pepper in it to give it yeah. some like a bit of heat. Do you know what? Jamie's got a very good curried parsnip soup that we did at Christmas a couple of years back. Ooh. And he does this little funky thing. It's a very Jamie thing to do. Poppadoms as croutons. I can see that working. Anyway, Saturn 2. What we hear about here is codename Dural. Now you had Dural, also known as Katana, and then you had Project Black Belt. And one was 3DFX and one was Power VR NEC. And basically... As I think we discussed before, Sega had two development teams in a race. And it's like, whichever one is better is the one that we're going to go with. And a lot of people within the industry and within Sega wanted Sega to go with the 3DFX option because 3DFX was already out there. It was being bought by PC owners. Therefore, a lot of developers were already making 3DFX games or games that could take advantage of the 3DFX. So it was seen as this could be an easier development path. However, Sega had kind of already gone, nah, and made up its mind about not using Project Black Belt, the 3DFX path, and going with Dural, which would be Power VR. And I don't know that it is one of the reasons why the Dreamcast also flopped, but I don't know if it helped matters. I mean, certainly one of the big things they corrected with what would eventually become the Dreamcast is they gave it a much, much easier set of development tools and operating system. It's just, it's a very Sega thing to do, which is take what is a very sensible option that is already there with a built-in audience and built-in development and decide that we'll go in a different direction. 
because that's what's made up the Saturn as well, is they had lots of options for them, including stuff with Silicon Graphics, doing stuff with Sony, and instead they decided to do it in-house and they completely bollocksed it. This is, it's Sega through and through in the 90s to make these sorts of decisions. And who knows what the future of the Dreamcast would have been had they gone with, uh, with the Black Belt option instead. I don't think it would have been much different because I think PlayStation had already won the war by that point and even then and then won it even further with the release of the PlayStation 2. So I think it was always going to be on the back foot no matter what it had. You know, I would have had a, that real killer app on it. But you know, the, the games that they're talking about here, which are Lost World, Scud Racer and Virtual Fighter 3, I don't think those would have been the killer apps that would have pushed the Dreamcast past the PlayStation or the PS2. And in fact, only one of them ever came out in any form on the Dreamcast, although all three were announced and were shown, I think, in various states of prototype. But it was only Virtua Fighter 3 which came out as 3TB. I do love that when we see The Lost World, the clip they show is of a dinosaur taking a massive shit. Uh, yeah, because they want to say that it'll take the dump on it, uh, take a dump on the competition. Like, it is a very Games Master thing to do. But also it's a very Sega thing that it's in there. There's also this kind of interesting point where you had kind of the attitude being taken by Sony with Namco and Nintendo with their idea of having a hardware platform where the idea was it would be easier to do arcade conversions because the arcades would be based on the same platform as the home console. It worked for Sony, didn't quite work for Nintendo. But with Sega, you weren't going to have that same sort of lineage. Although the Dreamcast did do a better job of converting Model 3 games than the Saturn did of converting Model 2. Mm. By a country mile. You're a little kinky devil, aren't you? Proof that appearing on Games Master could send your career into orbit is provided by Love Bites, a CD-ROM featuring last week's celebrity Joanne Guest. The title is a kind of Tamagotchi for your PC with Joe as your very own virtual girlfriend. You'll be rushed off your feet mowing the lawn, taking her up the wrong end of town, going to discos and cooking her lovely scrumptious meals. I don't feel very well. She was a guest on last week's show. She's a news item on this week's one. Joe Guest is a part of a CD-ROM called Love Bites. Basically, it's, you know, it's a virtual girlfriend thing. We've actually had these as quite a few features along the way or news items along the way in Games Master. So it's quite nice to see the progression, uh, I suppose, uh, of the virtual girlfriend CD-ROMs. You think back to those text-based ones of you're quite good at turning me on all the way through to here which is basically a tamagotchi cd-rom where you get to watch joe guest throw up a little bit yeah it's a virtual pet girlfriend with very very rudimentary animation and animated gifs the the footage they show of joe having a dance down the disco is so hilarious i've got to assume it's deliberate of essentially two frames of animation making it look like Joe is being electrocuted. It's shockingly, like, unappealing, I guess. But yeah, I think it is in a way it has to be done on purpose because these are just JPEG images that have been cut out, copied and pasted into something else. And it almost feels like it's not even two frames of it or even two pictures. It feels like it's one picture and they've just turned it round. We're just like, right-click, rotate 180 degrees just flip it around so it looks like she's uh oh no now she's dancing the other way it's very cheap it's very i I can't use the word cheerful but again a way a little bit cheerful that mowing the lawn mini game looked very cheerful that would be an early access game on steam now lawnmower simulator in fact lawnmower simulator does exist but i love this whole concept of yeah it's a virtual 
pet girlfriend thing where you have to do all the household chores, you have to earn money, and when you earn money, you can afford to take Joe out or buy her things or this, that, and the other. But Luke, in a bit of a throwback, there's a cheat for this game. Is there now? There is indeed, because you need money to win the game. And by win the game, I mean Joe takes her clothes off. So I found this in a period article in the early days of the internet, is when you're playing the game, once you've been to the office, which I assume is the kind of job part of the game, move the date on your computer back. So actually right click on the clock at the bottom and set it back a week. Then go home in the game and set the clock forward a week. Then go back to the office and collect your money immediately. And then set your clock back a week, go back home, rinse, repeat, and you can take a dancing, you can buy a frying pan, and pretty soon you'll be able to see all of her bites and bits. Well, one would hope so. And if that doesn't work out for you, you can always just make her a sandwich in the oven. And also make sure she's got a bath bucket. To celebrate the imminent arrival of Quake 2, the Games Master website is holding its very own Quake Clan Championship, in which rival teams of Quake players can smack each other about. If you're already part of a clan or reckon you can find a few mates, log on to our website to register. Qualifiers and quarterfinals will be played over the coming weeks on Quake, while the finals will be held on Quake 2 at the Shoot and Surf Internet Cafe in London. This is one of those like really frustrating, frustrating is not the right word, but maybe it is really. Wish this was a challenge on the show. A Quake like little mini clan tournament. God, that would have been awesome. But unfortunately, it is just uh, taking place all off screen. You can sign up through the website if you are already part of a clan or you can get a few makes to be part of a clan. They've got quarterfinals and semifinals in the next couple of weeks, and then a final taking place at an internet cafe in London. I love the fact that they reference it taking part at an internet cafe in London. I mean, that speaks to the period of time this was taking place in and took me right back to my own kind of internet cafe days. Although we never really played Quake 2. Even when Quake 2 came out, we remained in the era of Quake because we were having fun with the mods. Yeah, we didn't do a lot of Quake 2 at our internet cafe either. As I've said before, it was more of a Counter-Strike internet cafe much to my chagrin while we're on the subject of quake we've talked in the past about how 3d games weren't the saturn strong suit reviewed in this issue of games master magazine is quake for the sega saturn well now graphics a few problems where things are a long way off but otherwise it looks great 84 percent sounds plenty of explosions spot effects screaming moaning and weird music crank it up 87 percent Gameplay, well, it's a Doom clone, ain't it? But you'll have to have your thinking head on for this one because there are puzzle elements. 89. Lifespan, huge levels that will provide plenty of challenge. Should keep you quaking for a while. 90. Judgment, not quite as good as Duke, referring to Duke Nukem 3D, but still rates as one of the star attractions on the Saturn. Overall, 89%. The Saturn is dead, long live the Saturn, because by Jingo, they got a reasonable conversion of Quake. And Ash, that really is something to celebrate, though I do have to pick up on. When do you think we're going to retire the term Doom clone for anything that is a first-person shooter? I don't think it's ever going to be retired, 
because even now where the kind of misuse of the generational term, we've got things called boomer shooters, which is basically retro-style shooters. But even then, I'm still seeing people call these retro-style shooters Doom clones, which is also not accurate, because if you're going to go like that, Doom is a Wolfenstein 3D clone. Doom was the one that did it best, I guess. With less Nazis, more monsters. One and the same in some cases. Okay, we have got Mark, Mikey and Neil. They've got the duration of the show to find the best moves on Mortal Kombat 4. They've all had a quick shot and we've had a couple of decent ones already. We've got, let's take a look at one we've just recorded from Mikey. Now, Mikey is playing as Jarek, the bloke on the left of your screen with a bad waistcoat, and he whips out a massive mallet, Derek. That's right. <laughs> Not scorpion flying. Now, that is one serious weapon. We go back to our challenge, and we get to see a little bit of the playing. So, like, we see Mikey is playing as Jarek swinging a mallet, which is, you know, one of the new features of Mortal Kombat 4, which is you now have weapons that you can use. There's a really funny Derek moment here where Derek struggles to find his words, and Dom just lets him flounder. He just like, and it's, you can find them. And he sort of like laughs at himself for saying something stupid. And Dom's like, no, 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 you're right. You can find them. I mean, I love this first move that we see from Mikey with the weapons because it just looks horrific. It's just this proper mallet being swung into Scorpion. It's just a regular move, but it also looks like it should cave his ribcage in. Just, just absolutely kind of like collapse a lung and then some. And there's more genius of Derek next when we get Neil up as Quan Chi showing off his green skull projectiles, which are basically fireballs that also bite you. And Derek's like, it's like Street Fighter. And Dom's like, yeah, but more sick. <laughs> and last we have Mark playing as Chinook, who can take on other characters' moves. So he does reptiles and invisibility to go right up the jacker as well as scorpion's harpoon and because he's done like a little bit more i guess and i think you know with uh, and suddenly he's playing as chinook dom thinks that he is leading thus far i certainly got the impression when i was like watching through this yeah it certainly feels like he's the one that's getting the most out of this game compared to the other two especially like we you know just doing the simple projectiles or just using the weapons yeah but also kind of taking on other players powers there's an extra layer there by using chinook it's 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 impressive stuff certainly but let's head on to something that's way more disturbing let's go to our celebrity challenge what are we playing games master this next challenge on parappa the rapper on the playstation reminds me of my own days on the street and so I decided it was about time I tested the metal of today's ambassadors of Frank. Their task is simple. Guide young Parappa through the first level of the game, taking care to rap with sufficient eloquence to finish with a good rating or above. So my contestants will have to press those buttons at exactly the right moment to avoid being dissed by their high-kicking onion instructor. I want to believe that in his time on the street, he was a peer of Chop Chop Master Onion. They were both hanging there in their cribs together. You've got to believe. Uh, it's a brilliant little bit of scripting for him to be like, this reminds me of my days on the street. And it's a very simple challenge. Finish the first level on a good result. Simple, nice. But also not. 
But we'll talk about that in a little bit. But he's looking to test the mettle of today's ambassadors of funk. And Luke, who are those ambassadors of funk? Thanks to today's guests, we have a brand new rap district on planet Earth. We've already had a Compton, Los Angeles, Brooklyn, New York. Now from Rochdale, Lancashire, please welcome DJ Orball and Moosh from Cali. Welcome to the show, DJ Orball. Welcome, Moosh. Now, uh, I was lucky enough to see you guys play live uh, a couple of months ago. I was impressed by a couple of things. The single Sands of Time, which is out now, and the sheer largeness of your trousers. <laughs> Now, what, what is it? Why are the trousers so large? You see, sometimes when we're travelling, there's not enough seats, we get the rest of the group in here. Like, there's actually the other two members in here at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, never told me that I was going to grow into it. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's no, there's no enormous no, concealed weapons or anything like No, you got to. Like, I've got invited. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mish. Now, I mean, these are, the, these are the things that you get from the, the rare companies and everything. You're never quite sure if they're true, but we have been told that you are in contact with alien life forms. Yeah. Well, it's just like a few times I've been out and I never remembered what happened. I just woke up in my bed in the morning. There could be other explanations. <laughs> I got like marks like I've been tampered with and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got Khalif from Rochdale. East side of Rochdale. Dom talks about these in the book and says he got them on the show because he saw them do a gig, then went backstage with them and then invited them onto Games Master. That is what Series 7 is. And also, this would probably be one of the last appearances for Khalif because we see them at a point in 1997 when they've got a couple of singles out, Don plugs a single, their album's either about to come out or has just come out, and they get so disheartened with the direction the album took that they split up. Reading through their Wikipedia, I'm not familiar with Khalif. I went and listened to a couple of the tracks just so I could, you know, get a bit of a, a flavour of them. But I was not familiar, certainly in context and in the time. And reading through their Wikipedia page is remarkable because they go through lots of different changes. Started as a breakdance and graffiti group, then became spoken word poets, and then moved into rap and had their debut album. Brought in some new people like DJ Oddball, who's part of this challenge. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, boom, started working with Pete Waterman. And you're like, what? Where'd Pete Waterman just step up from? But no, Pete Waterman is now part of this Wikipedia page. And almost instantly after you get the Pete Waterman bit, it's like pop direction, didn't like it, broke up. Yeah, so it means that at this point where Dom's like, yeah, I heard the single, love it, it's great. They're already at the point where they're like, we're not into this yeah we're not like this, this is anymore. not our jam nice little uh, video game connection to them though but in a very much roundabout way but one of their tracks vibe to joint is on the shopping soundtrack a movie directed by paul ws anderson and that movie is what got him the model combat gig and mortal combat's on this episode all the pieces joined together someone should write a book on this <laughs> if only someone would get off their fat ass and do it <laughs> I do like them, though. They're really, really funny and entertaining on this. Yeah, because Dom said when he saw them live, he was impressed by two things. One was the single, Sands of Time, out now, kids. Can I take a guess at what the other one was? Is, is it trouser-related? It is indeed trouser and pant-adjacent. Why are the trousers so big? And the two responses he gets are both A-grade. First one. It's because when they're travelling, if there aren't enough seats, they can fit a few extra band members in the pockets. And then Mush just leans across and just says, my mum said I'd grow into them. Oh, 
great. Banger after banger on these lines. And again, they're outclassing Dom here because he then says, so no concealed weapons in there. I'm like, no, 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 mate. These two lads have really outclassed you on the joke front there. I don't know, concealed weapon joke? Not liking Dom's. He's talking about his cock, Luke. I think he might be, yeah. They also sort of talk a little bit about cocks in the next bit, where it's like, you know, oh, Mush is in contact with aliens because he often goes on a night out and then he can't remember a thing about it the following day. I remember being that young and <laughs> having that, that sort of night out. But Mush also feels like he's been tampered with. Tampered with. And instantly, Oddball goes, it's not me. This is Derek Lynch flying a spaceship in the year 2000 level weird. I thought they were really, really funny. It was how good they were. I had the same thing with the group in, in Series 6. I found them so entertaining on this. I was like, I'm going to go listen to what they are. You know, and that's kind of what these appearances on TV shows are supposed to do. You like them as people, so you go and listen to their music. And, uh, OK, while we uh, find out exactly who has been tampering with Mush, we're going to take a commercial break. Remember, in the second half of the show, as well as Cali, we are going to be going to the conclusion of our Mortal Kombat 4 challenge. Lots of men trying to find hidden moves, along with Derek Lynch. See you in a second. The Wilkinson Sword FX Performer. A razor that's designed to flex so it gently hugs your face and shaves you close. Fresh thinking from Wilkinson Sword. The feel of smart design. Gonna get along with that, you know. Gonna find somebody quite as cute. Gonna get along with you know. You hung around with every guy in town and you didn't even care if it got me down. Uh-huh. <laughs> Oh, 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 get along without you. Before I met you, gonna... Ah! gonna get along without you now. Mm. <laughs> Bachelor Super 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 Noodles. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For us computer fans, Christmas means PC World. Britain's biggest range of PCs software and accessories and value that's out of this world. The choice of top brand PCs goes on and on from as low as 699 and we can install and start it up for you. Any questions just ask. That's what we're here for. Welcome to our world. We're in the world. Don't miss it. PC world. Travelling around the world, one thing has become clear. When we show people what the Pentium 2 processor can do for a PC, they want to get it. Except the kids. Kids already get it. There are times when you simply can't put off cleaning your oven. Things just take too much time and effort. And some oven cleaners have choking fumes. But now, Mr. Muscle's new improved oven cleaner cleans with less harsh fumes better than ever. New formula Mr. Muscle oven cleaner loves the jobs you hate. Two games master, three adult Mortal Kombat players are playing under the watch for guys of Mr. Derek Lynch to try and get the best moves possible before the end of the show. Before we check on that, it's time for our special guest, Khalif, to have a dose of Parappa the Rapper. I'm joined in the cold commentary box by Mr. Kirk Ewing. Kirk, please take off that stupid head. Kirk, I said take off that stupid head. <laughs> The jokes keep coming. <laughs> we come back from the break and we get a visual as to why I had this as one of my favourite, even though not my favourite challenge of Series 7 when we did UCP Live 2. It's not just Kirk with the, the big Parappa head, which is very entertaining. It's not just that Khalifa playing Parappa the Rapper, one of my favourite games on the PlayStation. It's they're playing it on a massive PlayStation pad. Now, this is where I had a real moment because obviously I'd seen this challenge before. We talked about it at UCP Live too. But when I was making my notes and it came back from the commercial break, I was just like, huh, did I skip forward and miss the part where they said, and they're going to be using a giant novelty controller. So I rewound and I watched it again. No, this, this is just what it be. And Dominic doesn't even really make much of it. He's just like, yeah, they're playing Parappa the Rapper. That's a ludicrous controller. Kirk's got a big stupid head and he's wearing a Parappa costume. Let's get it on. It's just there so they can make a massive knob joke. <laughs> yeah, a, a, a massive knob joke and not a, like it's a knob joke that is massive. It is a joke that is about a massive knob. Now, Kirk has said that, you know, he didn't think he was very good or... He didn't think that they thought he was very good. He shines in this challenge. And the main reason he shines is because he loves 
Parappa the Rapper. Now, Kurt, you are a massive Parappa Rapper fan. All praise to Parappa. This is the greatest game of the decade. Absolutely adore it. You even know some of the lyrics off by heart. Don't get cocky. It's going to get rocky. We're going to move down to the next judge hockey now. <laughs> <laughs> he is so happy to have that giant Parappa the Rapper head. He is overjoyed to be able to wear it. He's overjoyed to be able to quote lyrics, talk about the game. Luke, it's the game of the decade. That's it. It's, while everyone is banging on about Final Fantasy VII, there's Kirk flying the flag for Parappa the Rapper. No, the true game of the decade. This is what you should be buying PlayStations for. Does Final Fantasy VII have a wrapping onion? It's a great question. Oh, the 40-odd hours of gameplay and not one wrapping onion. I mean, people, the big criticism against Parappa the Rapper at the time, because it was wildly praised when it came out, and quite rightly so, it's awesome. The only criticism people had against it was... It is a bit short, and it is short. You can do it in about half an hour because there's only six tracks on it. But it does feature some very iconic characters that are not in Final Fantasy VII. I mean, Parappa originally came out in 1996, made its way to the UK in 1997. This game came from a period of time in the PlayStation development cycle where Sony were just going, what can we make? How many different projects can we have on the go at once? There were loads of different titles in production, working in multiple divisions, and Parappa the Rapper was one of those ones. And realistically, the the 2D um, artwork style was kind of not quite an accident, but was more a, this is something we're going to do for the prototype just to make sure the gameplay works. And then it became a deliberate stylistic choice, and it even contributed to the name because... Parappa relates to Japanese for paper and flat and the, basically the art style that is used throughout. I think if they'd just gone for traditional 3D models, it would still be popular. It would have still been a good game. It would not have that modern cult following that it actually now does. I don't think it would have generated the sequels, the remasters, this, that and the other. I mean, you can still... I think, get a version of it that was um, HD upscaled on the PS4. Not that I think you particularly need a HD upscale of Parappa the Rapper, but like you're right, like it's it's that art style that makes it unique. It's that art style that makes it stand out. South Park's about to become one of the biggest shows on the planet, you know, around this period of time and certainly next year in the UK. And this just flat 2D look to it, this Paper Mario-esque look to it, is just so beautiful and so bonkers and so unique that it makes it it makes it like stand out from everything else that's on the shelves and i just i love the the development of this game was essentially there were divisions within sony one of those divisions was just you make popular games and then this other one is division zero you just do whatever you want now that's a quote from one of the people that was working there we just did whatever and Parappa the Rapper is a product of Division Zero. Uh, there's a thing within Google where every week you are given X amount of time to just work on whatever you want. You do your normal day-to-day -day jobs, but in some departments, there is a certain period of the week where you just work on any project that you fancy. And that's where things like do a barrel roll comes from or like any of those google uh, search results that turn into video games or whatever it is that comes from uh, that google attitude of just like just do whatever you want you know just do something we'll see if it works and then we will implement it sometimes if you just let creative people be creative you get gold like this 
And sadly, I don't think we see a lot of that inside major studios anymore, but you get it with the independent game developers because the internet and technology and changes in development processes mean it is now much easier for a small development team to make something that can actually stand alongside a AAA title and be considered a contender, be considered a contemporary rather than being something that maybe shareware that gets sent out on a floppy disk or you know downloaded from a bulletin board or or whatever and only occasionally do studios get involved and absolutely ruin it i'm looking at you no man sky <laughs> i don't know i wish big studios would take more risks they do occasionally there's some couple of interesting games that come out with new game mechanics new ideas new styles hi-fi rush is a is a fairly good example of one recently also a rhythm-based game and that was developed by tango gameworks but it was published by bethesda and it came out on game pass and it was just boom a sudden mic drop of a game it had real feels of jet set radio to it it was all cell shaded it had an amazing soundtrack and it is and it's just a game that came out of nowhere did something different did something original and is immensely fun as a result. And I will say that if you played it and you, if you could get to grips with the controls, I think you would dig Hi-Fi Rush because it's, it's about having fun. Yes. And also rhythm as well. Like if you've got no sense of rhythm, you're going to suck at this game. Like you still muddle through it. But if you can hold a rhythm, if you can meet your button prompts, if you can do this, that and the other game just opens out in front of you and it's a hell of a thing and that might be me scuppered then because i've got no rhythm whatsoever and i used to be a drummer well it reminds me of the old joke what's the difference between a drummer and a drum machine what is the difference between a drummer and a drum machine you only need to punch the rhythm into a drum machine once i mean i can totally buy that i'm a drummer that cannot count while i'm drumming you're the keith moon of drummers yeah i can't it, i get distracted i get i think too much about the counting and then i'm not really focused on doing anything else so I just went on vibes. That was my drumming style. It's uh, It was really funny when we went to record our first demo, um, one of my later, later, later bands. Uh, the final band I was ever in, we were recording a demo and we were in a recording studio and I had to lay down the track for everyone else to play to, but I couldn't keep to time with you know how the song is supposed to go and the recording engineer was asking me and he was like almost counting along with me to make sure that i could just keep the time and stuff and after a while he said the most remarkable thing is it's not that you're a bad drummer it's that you make the same mistake every single time you're actually an exceptional drummer at keeping time just not the right one and in the end i just had one of the guitarists stay with me guitar played and i just played along to him but back to the challenge we get another dick joke from kirk using a large one built-up areas for now it's it's such an insight into what it must have been like you know the in jokes that they must have had uh, when they were down the pub and stuff i haven't heard games master use built-up areas for a while but that's a real like throwback him and kirk would say things like that in series five and stuff so it was, it was a real lovely insight into what it must have been like just to have a chat with them down the pub and the sort of things that would make them laugh again it's a one-take show so Dom fluffing his line when he says... All right, the challenge is to get through the first stage of Parappa Rappa on at least a good rap lating. Rap, rap lating? Just stays in there and he's just like, doesn't matter, it's a rap lating now, off you go. And unfortunately what also stays in there is Kirk's contribution to that. Rap lating. Rap lating. <laughs> Thank you. Which did make me pull a face. <laughs> Put this way, even in 1997... That was already aging like milk in the sun. Mm -hmm, certainly was. But Kirk did also say 
that as they're rappers, they know their stuff, they'll get through this. And despite a few duff moments at the start, he's kind of right. Because not only do they start hitting the right notes, they start freestyling and scoring extra points. Yeah, I mean, there's not a huge amount to say to this challenge. It's got real Quest for Fame vibes to it. I mean, not just because it's Kirk and Dom, but because there's lots of like cutting to them having a dance. It cuts to Khalif, who are having a bit of a dance while they're playing this. But we've also got the benefit of having a crowd here now. I've really got to wonder what they were actually dancing to, what song they would be playing to, to have a little boogie to. But we cut to them. And it's got a real like party atmosphere to it. This is less about the games playing skills on show with Khalif and more just this game's very fun to play and you should go out of your way to go and play this at home. Because really, they stay at good for the majority of the game. There's a tease into cool, but they remain at good. There's a tease to bad, they remain at good. There's a tease to bad, they go down to bad. And that, I think, was my favorite part of the challenge, is when Mush just takes over because Oddball is supposed to be the one that's on the R trigger and he's not doing it right. So Mush just leans over and is like, I'll do that instead. Then I'll, I'll do that because I'm not supposed to be doing that one because Oddball is just having a dance. And then back up to good and we just basically remain there for the rest of the challenge and they win. I did love the fact that we saw the crowd bopping along. And again, you're right, no idea what they were bopping to. I love throughout this Dom and Kirk's dance moves slash martial arts display they, they are doing a bit of kung fu fighting and at one point they cut away just as it looks like dom is actually about to punch kirk in the face like in uh quest for fame it's kirk doing the guitar solo and dom doing the flute solo in this one it's a case of one of them's doing rap moves the other one is doing karate moves i i think it is uh delightfully silly as a challenge. The mad thing about this challenge is the huge controller plays no part in it whatsoever. We did talk about could we actually do this as a future challenge at UCP Live 2? Could we get the giant controller? And I think we like we 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 spitballed some ideas around of alternative ways of doing the giant controller. It would actually be very easy to do with kind of various controller customs, joystick boards, this, that, and the other. But realistically, there's no way anyone could practice with it other than on the day. And it doesn't actually make that much of a difference. It's there for the visual, and that is it, really. I mean, what you could do with a modern challenge is you could, by using emulation, have two controllers, normal controllers, and have half of the controller from player one mapped to player one on the game, and half of the controller from player two mapped to the other half of player one on the game. And that would allow you to have the same kind of we need to work together, but without a giant wonky bit of fiberglass. Anyway, they win. They do. And I think there was originally meant to be something else here involving Kirk and his giant parappa head. <laughs> because as Dom walks over to them, you can just see out of focus in the background, Kirk is wandering around wearing the parappa head again. See, I just thought that was them almost doing like a Charlie Brown-esque, just sad walk in the back. Just like, pop that head back on and off you go. I think it was a sad walk. I think it was maybe a sad walk because Kirk was like, I'm going to put the head on and come down to the beach. And someone went, no. <laughs> That's someone being dumb. I'm, tr I'm trying to hang out with my cool mates here. You can actually see Khalif wave to Kirk when they come up on the beach because they've clearly seen him fart-arsing around in the parappa head again. Now, guys, uh, 
it looked a bit, it looked a bit dodgy at one stage, uh, DJ Allborn. At one stage, <laughs> your rapping went down to bad. Sometimes, you know, you just miss a word halfway through, and but we got over it. Could you have been better rappers if, say, this game was introduced at school level? Definitely. Definitely. That, that's the good thing about it. It's like, yep. Now at Christmas, I want my niece and nephews climbing all over me. I can just uh -huh. say, here you go. It's a classic piece of education. It is, definitely. definitely. Isn't it? Yeah. And finally, Mush, I do have to ask, why are you wearing a pair of pants on your head? I just remind me of something that's very close to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the conversation they have in the post-match, which is just, I really think this could be educational software. You know, forget some of your BBC micros and stuff. Let's get PlayStations into schools across the country with copies of Parappa the Rapper on it. It could be an essential part of the curriculum. I had a lot of fun with that challenge. That challenge has pushed this episode up in percentages by a substantial amount. Yep. Not because it is amazing gameplay. It was okay gameplay on a rather unconventional controller, but because... Much like Quest for Fame, it's unique and it's fun as all dickens. Yeah, it would have been like a perfect final challenge for this show. But as it is, it's only episode two, and that's two celebrity challenges, two golden joysticks. Well, we better hand out another golden joystick to one of these three chaps here. Um, we'll get to that in a little bit, though, because at this point, you know, Mark had been leading the way, but Neil might have pushed ahead here because he's the one who's found the first fatality. Playing a scorpion, he's whirling around Fujin, whirls him around and throws Fujin into the fan. That is definitely the most impressive thing. Although Mark, discovering some of the breakers, he's still very much in the conversation for being the better player here. Absolutely, because those breakers are a new feature. Exactly. He's discovering stuff that is completely new. Yeah, whereas like Mikey, DJ Mikey, is just showing off a weapon. And sure, it's, it's someone else's weapon, but we've kind of already seen weapons being used earlier on in the show. So it feels like he's almost like a couple of steps behind the other two. But the challenge is almost over. Not quite, but it's, it's almost over. They've still got a few more minutes to try and pull a rabbit out of a hat and then throw it into a wood chipper. It still feels like it could be very much anyone's game at this point. We have a couple of racing games today, beginning with Screamer Rally on the PC. It features courses that take you from the endless southern deserts of Arizona to uh, Wales. But life being what it is, however, you will need a 3DFX card or people will point at you in the street and laugh. There's an awful lot of driving games around at the moment, and Screamer Rally is one of the first to use some serious 3D technology with your PC, and the effect is absolutely stunning. Yeah, I know what you PC owners are really like. You're all closet console fanatics, aren't you? And you clamour for racing games, and this time, you've got one. There's no denying that Screamer Rally is an absolutely gorgeous game. The textures are beautiful, the colours are there, and the choice of locations are superb. Bombing through Italy, China, through the countryside, it's all very, very picturesque. Music is quite an interesting feature with this game because it's quite contemporary. You've got some rather nice storming drum and bass tunes involved. You've got nice squidgy bits of techno thrown in around the edges, which definitely pumps some adrenaline through your system. This is definitely a game to hook up with some friends, link the things together, play the game as a multiplayer, and thoroughly enjoy. You were talking earlier about the, the 3D FX cards, and that really does seem to be the topic du jour for Series 7, because we had a chat about them last week on uh, Tomb Raider when they were saying we were running PCs with the 3D FX card. There was the Blade Runner game that you don't need fancy 3D graphics cards for. And here they're talking about Screamer Rally, a game that is good, 
but you'd get the best out of it if you have got one of those 3DFX cards. Yeah, and I immediately love that Richard follows on from this comment from Rob about, you know, you need that 3DFX card by going, it confirms what I've known all along. You PC gamers are all closet console fans. I don't think at the time that was true, but I think now the line between PC gaming and console gaming is mostly about resolution. I'd say so, yeah, because I think I think Richard is way ahead of his time here. Me and Rich, we're very kindred spirits in this sense because I've always thought the PC gamers were just console gamers in disguise. I think we talked about this before. I still think there are some games that a PC will always do better. Real-time strategy games, those are the ones because it's not even that you can't get a mouse for a console you can you can get a keyboard but i think a real-time strategy game is best experienced sat at a desk rather than on a console yeah absolutely but i i think the this review is a very good example of why the series 7 format works so well like you know it's it's richard and rob sat next to each other talking about the 3dfx cards and then actually the two talking heads i think are just really really good richard talking about how the game is fantastic and rob talking about the music you can tell that rob really likes his drum and bass and techno music and how you should be linking all your pcs up so you can play this on a multiplayer it's a really good review of a game where there's very little to kind of say about it it's the third in the screamer series and it is essentially them taking screamer 2 and going but what if rally game and there'd be one more entry which was also taking screamer 2 and going but what if 4x4 off-road racing? It worked for Micro Machines. What if Micro Machines, but 96? I do love something here that Dom picked up on in his intro, which is talking about the tracks that will take you all over the world. China, Canada, Italy, Arizona, Sweden, Wales. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful Welsh countryside. I mean, it is great for rallying. I am not even going to question. There are some amazing rally courses in the UK, but it is really funny to read the country list and have it just go exotic, 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 exotic Wales. Wales. Shout out to all of our Welsh listeners. 88% for that game right there. I thought you were about to say that 88% of our listeners are Welsh. <laughs> no, but you know, also a nice little DeLorean score there for a car-based game. Next up, a Lamborghini 64, which is quite apt because I have 64 Lamborghinis. It's an attempt to make up for the lamentable cruising USA and has time trial, split-screen multiplayer modes and a whopping handful of championship circuits. Oh dear, the N64 desperately needed a top-class racing game to seal its reputation. This is definitely not it. I was playing this game with a friend of mine the other day and his comment was this. It's like trying to drive a car with a sack over the windscreen. Not very good at all. One of the major problems with this game is that when you're racing, you don't actually feel as if you're competing against other cars. They're either so far behind you that they never catch up or stretched out far in the distance away from you. The controls are too sensitive. It just doesn't handle right. You never get the feeling that you're actually driving a real car. The key to a good racing game is gritty realism. A car has to be fast, the landscape has to be beautiful, and there should be crunches, thrills, and spills. Basically, Lamborghini 64 feels like flying through a cloud on a milk float. Get ready. Oh, the second review, like it's it's two weeks into Games Master and 
two bad N64 reviews. If this was a different podcast, one might look at this and think it's a conspiracy against Nintendo to make them look bad because they haven't reviewed a good Nintendo game. They've just reviewed the bad Nintendo games. Though I will pick up on on Richard's point here where he says that the N64 is in desperate need of a top class racing game. I'm like, Richard, mate, Mario Kart 64 is out. That's a top class racing game. It is, but it also isn't. And by that, I mean... It is not a pure racing game. If you just want a pure racing game, if you want a screamer, if you want a Gran Turismo, if you just want something like that, that is not really there at this point. There is not that killer app. Mario Kart 64, I think we've talked about it before. It's my favorite Mario Kart, but I play Mario Kart 64 when I want to play Mario Kart not when I want to play a racing game. I think this might come down to, uh, and I'm going to feel like the Dave Bulmer and Chris McFeely of this podcast here. Those have got four wheels. These have got four wheels. They both race. These are all racing games. I I get what you mean. They're different styles of racing games, but for me, they are all racing games, none in the same. I think it's the weapons. That's what does it. If you could play Mario Kart 64 with with no weapons at all, so it is literally just a racing game, I'd be 100% on board with you. You can be the best racer in the world in Mario Kart, and then you get a blue shell up the Jaxi. That's why it's great. Fun fact, actually, the um, I was watching Gaming Historian's uh, documentary he did recently on the making of Super Mario Kart, and weapons weren't going to be part of the game originally, but they added them in as a way to basically make it not feel like a standard racing game it absolutely worked and also it adds a level of competition to it because it always varies up who is in what position especially when you take into account the weighting of what weapons and power-ups you get when which is a very good way of keeping the game balanced it's still possible for people to run away with the race result but it makes it a little less likely it's also fun as well because it means that in the single player mode i know we're talking about america here this is the second time america has come in a conversation after the the letter in in the magazine in the single player mode the other racers don't get weapons because the game can't actually calculate the percentages needed for like, the weighted percentages and stuff so they only ever get the standard weapons of just dropping things in the middle of the uh, of the fields. Interesting. It's a good video, uh, YouTube video. Gaming historians look at uh, America, Super Mario Kart. Shot very, very lovely. I mean, gaming historian in general, brilliant channel. Norman's a great lad. Anyway, Lamborghini sixty four. This is it is not a good review for for this game here, um, and it's kind of like there's two big criticisms against it. Number one. It doesn't really feel like you're actually in control of the car. And number two, there's no sense of competition to it because you're either too far in front so no one's, everyone's far behind you or you're too far behind and you can't catch up. And it's a shame because a lot of the other potential ingredients for a great racing game are there. It's got time trials, split screen modes, a bunch of championship circuits. And it's just unfortunate that the gameplay hanging it together is is pants. Yeah, it's really. a bit pants, yeah. What gets me is that summary of this is like flying through a cloud on a milk float. 57%. Oh, dear. It's one of one of the real low scores that we've had on the show. This game does get a little bit of redemption because this got re-released. This got re-released in 1998 in Japan as Super Speed Race 64. It was put out by Taito, and even though it was kind of a reskin, re-enhancement, it was presented as 
a follow-on from the speed race series that they had in the 70s and 80s and they changed up difficulty levels they allowed control customization they put weather in it they put more details and pictures of the cars available and basically they just kind of i guess they fixed it in post it's still not a spectacular game but it's a better game yeah unfortunately never released outside of japan and realistically at that point the damage was done although games master very critical with their 57 percent elsewhere it did slightly better still not brilliant but it definitely kind of fell in the 60 to 70 percent range on a lot of people yeah i think there's a lot of mixed reviews across the board for, for lamborghini 64 and i i think for games master I think what sums up the Games Master's 57% here is that they introduced this review saying this was supposed to make up for Cruising USA. And because it doesn't do that, it almost sets it at a level of disappointment off the, off the bat. I mean, I'm looking down the scores listed on Wikipedia and Next Generation gave it six. That's fine. That kind of fits in with 57%. If you're going to go out of 10, 57 would round up to 60. Yeah. So six. N64 magazine, 67%, okay. IGN, 7 out of 10, okay. It's where we get to EGM and GameSpot where it's actually closer to 8 or 80. Now, I don't want to cast aspersions on journalistic integrity of video game magazines in the 90s. However, there are a lot of games that were fairly bobbins that EGM gave very high review scores to. And interestingly, they were also games that EGM was running quite large advertising campaigns for. I'm just saying, it's just, it's just a bit odd. Sometimes these coincidences just happen. I'm sure they discussed it over many a very, very expensive paid-for lunch, just how many of those coincidences actually happen, allegedly. Allegedly. Okay, the guys have stopped playing at Mortal Kombat 4 now, but we've recorded the best moves they've managed to come up with. Let's take a look at Michael's, first of all. We've got three moves to show you here. Well, our Mortal Kombat 4 challenge is over, and we're basically going to go through the best three things that our players found and determined from that games master will determine of course who is the best player of the three i mean we'll go through each of them individually of course but mark 100 wins this challenge oh absolutely uh, i mean let's just say that there is a standard for the other two of move slash combo move slash combo fatality that is how their highlights are presented to us and it's when we get to mark saving the best for last that he's just like no i'm wearing the big pants i borrowed them from khalif it's his redemption arc and again it's why i wish they'd made a bigger deal of it but we start with mikey who's got a wind move from fujin he's the god of wind it kind of makes sense it's basically just swinging him around it's a standard move like what mikey has got mikey's got like a bit of a standard move He's got one of the weapon moves because he uses a laser crossbow and then does uh, Liu Kang's dragon fatality, which, of course, we have seen through previous games. But only this one is slightly more gross in that the dragon not only just bites into them, also swings them around a little bit, like a T-Rex in, in The Lost World. I had the exact same note about the T-Rex in The Lost World. I was looking at the way the dragon was shaking its head and I thought, someone's watched Jurassic Park. Yeah, pretty much. Neil's first one he's got here, which is a, a four-hit combo. It's less of a combo. It's more doing the same two-hit move twice. I mean, it is a variant on the old standard 
get over here uppercut. It's get over here, break his arm. Yeah. Simple, but effective. But I would not call that a four-hit combo. No, it's a two-hit combo, but it is a two-hit combo twice. It's yes. not It's not a four-hit combo. Not at all. Next up, Sonya's rotary blade weapon. She it's is, a blade. She is called Sonya Blade, after all. And lastly, a fatality from Chinook, who disappears, summons a giant skeleton hand that crushes Raiden until his head pops off. Like, um, juice out of a lemon. <laughs> exactly, right. <laughs> Derek puts it best, as always. I mean, it was Pancake Day yesterday, and as I was squeezing that lemon to go onto my Shrove Tuesday pancakes, all I could think about was Chinook Skeleton Hand. So which does bring us to Mark, who does do a seven-hit combo with Sub-Zero. As you say, like it's, it, it could have been eight. They even talk about how it was, it was nearly eight, but he didn't quite continue on with the, the sweeps. And then has two fatalities. First off is Raiden, where he makes his opponent explode with too much electricity. And then lastly, and this is clearly why he won, Tanya's exploding kiss fatality, which is quite spectacular. See, we've had exploding kiss fatalities and deadly kisses in Mortal Kombat before. Sonya's, they just kind of went fumf in a puff of flame. I think Mortal Kombat 2 or 3, they inflated and then exploded, I seem to remember. Mm -hmm. This one, peck on the cheek, then the body contorts, compresses, tenses, and then just explodes without warning. It's so, so good. It's definitely the best of the fatalities they showed on this episode. Absolutely. And the first time I saw this, I did not quite know where it was going because my brain was like, I thought they said it was an exploding. Oh, there it goes. <laughs> kind of like um, explosive decompression almost. Kind of like... I just wrote my notes here. He has to win, surely. Now, we've had a number of lines from Derek this episode. Some of them have landed. Some of them haven't. Dom sets up the perfect pitch. Dom says to Derek, I bet you've known a few women like that in your time. And Derek pauses, looks thoughtful, gives it that all-important beat, and then nods, grins, and goes, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Dom laughs, Derek laughs. He lands the timing perfectly. It's Derek's true golden moment of this episode because it was a setup, line, delivery, landing, that was perfect. Well, we have to get a winner here, so let's head on over to Games Master and find out who that winner is. Never before have I witnessed such an exhibition of blood-curdling carnage. Your mother's not very proud. Nevertheless, a decision must be made. It seems to me that young Mark has proved to be the most ruthless and skillful of tonight's contestants. It was he who discovered the largest number of fatalities. Congratulations, Mark. Sick and twisted you may be, but the golden joystick is yours. Yeah, it was Mark. Of course it was Mark. He found the most fatalities. Sick and twisted he may be, but the golden joystick is his. And yeah, came, came third in the Killer Instinct competition, but has now found himself in pole position. Very, very good. Maybe when it comes around to Series 8, he too can be on the commentary team like Martin Mathers. So congratulations, Mark Griffin. You are the winner. Last time you were on, you came third in the Killer Instinct uh, combo, so that's not bad. You, you have improved. Uh, you, my favourite move of yours was that uh, the kiss fatality. How, how did you pull that off? Um, well, you have to go down, down, up, down, then high punch and block. Uh -huh. Right up close, and then she'll do the move. Right. Not the kind of thing you want to do with a woman most of the time. Unsurprisingly, Dom's favourite move 
was the kiss fatality, but how did he pull that off? Now, when he asked this question, I thought he was expecting an answer of, well, I tried this combo from the earlier games and then I modified it, you know, using kick instead of punch. And I knew that there was an up an up close fatality and this, that and the other. Nope. Mark's just like, oh, down, down, up, down, high punch and block while up close. Boom, done it. It's basically like a consultation zone entry. DJ Mikey won't reveal how he did his dragon fatality, which to me indicates he maybe isn't quite sure <laughs> and he may have whiffed it. He might have done that by accident. Which does bring us to... Uh, now, finally, Neil, with the tattoo, scaffolder extraordinaire. Uh, you, my favourite one of yours was the, oh, the big scout in the hand. Was, how, how did you pull that off? Oh, it was just a case of wiggling my stick and um, banging my knobs. Right. I've been looking at this now, because it's been on my screen for a while as we've got to this part of my notes. I think wiggling the stick, I am fine with. It's banging the knobs that gets me, because as easy as some of the dick jokes are that are made elsewhere and by Dominic, they're not knobs, they're buttons. It also doesn't really work, but he's kind of like alluding to balls, but he's using the word knobs, which is not the right part he's referring to. It doesn't, quite, it doesn't overly work, but as an offhanded comment, I thought it was very, very funny. And I actually very much enjoyed the beat that Dom gives it, which is just as a pause. And he just goes, right, looks to camera and then says, Mark's a good lesson. If the kids to come back and improve upon yourself, maybe you can win a joystick too through hard work. Well, would you believe it? Two weeks on air, and already we've done our second show. That means there's only eight more, eight more weeks until like, Channel Four becomes less fun than standing on a wet patch in the kitchen wearing only your socks. See you later. Do you know what? Only the other day, I did stand in a wet patch in the kitchen wearing just my socks, and Dom's right. It's not fun. Same thing happened to me. I stood in a small puddle of water and it was first thing in the morning. Ugh. And I'm just, I'd literally just put the socks on, mate. And I'm just like, I've got to find another pair of socks now. What am I going to do? Awful business. I uh, did it uh, not just, it was the other week, in fact, because uh, the, the little one had spilt some milk on the floor. The little prick just walked away from it and left me to stand in it. I was like, you could have told me at least. I'd have mopped that up before I stood on it. I've actually got a worse story to share friend that I used to go around and play a lot of SNES games with back uh, back when I was a younger lad. I remember he had this whole thing of like, you know, whoopee cushions and fake dog turds and, you know, the, the standard joke shop stuff. And he went into the kitchen to get a drink. I think he was actually going to try and make some crisps. Do you remember the crisp makers you put in the microwave? Yeah. He was going to do one of those. And he saw, sat in front of the fridge, what in his head, he thought was his plastic fake vomit and he kicked it out of the way except it wasn't fake vomit the dog had been sick so he basically in socks only yeeted his foot through a pile of dog vomit and sent it spraying up the kitchen cabinets and onto the ceiling Amazing. and his mum walked in less than a minute later and I just remember her going oh Richard <laughs> <laughs> so there are worse things than a puddle of water in the kitchen. And maybe there are worse things than this episode, because that is episode two of series seven. Ash, what did you make of it? The Mortal Kombat challenge is not bad. It's very good. We see some great moves in Mortal Kombat. I mean, Mark truly deserves to win this because we get two fatalities, one of which is an absolutely amazing fatality. And we get a really nice combo, which is, of course, where Mortal Kombat's increasingly going. It's all about the combos. That's what fighting games are now. And it falls down the same way the Tomb Raider Challenge did. 
But thankfully, we've got Parappa the Rapper. We've got Kirk knowing the lyrics to the Parappa the Rapper tracks. And we've got his big Parappa the Rapper head. We've got that giant controller. We've got the kids dancing to something. We've no idea what on the flotillas. This entire challenge just hangs so beautifully together and, yeah, has that quest for fame vibe to it. It is so much fun that I actually briefly forgot we were going to go back to the Mortal Kombat challenge. Part of me was like, well, that's the end of the episode. I guess we get to... Oh, yeah, there was the Mortal Kombat challenge. And again, it's not that it's bad. It's just the Parappa challenge was actually a challenge that you watch from beginning to end rather than just getting highlights. That's my issue with it i think is it is just a lot of highlights but it doesn't feel quite as cool and epic as when they did this with tekken in series five which is basically the same challenge which is just uh like virtual fighter whatever it was was like we're gonna put you on this game you have to come up with the best combos you possibly can do it's it feels like a lesser version of that and it's more high, it feels more highlighted than when we got it in a in a previous series but that parappa challenge is so great it's so so great and i think you probably will go down as my favorite challenge of series seven which is remarkable because it's not really that great of a challenge in terms of the actual games playing it's just fun and it is got a really good party atmosphere to it i love the game i thought the lads playing it were really really entertaining and it's just a brilliant atmosphere and it really lifts this episode up you know, if we had the Joe Guest challenge with the Mortal Kombat 4 episode long challenge, I think we wouldn't be kind of as high on this episode as we might end up being. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm thinking overall, based on challenges, I'm, I'm definitely at the same level I was for last week, like kind of on average. I'm just trying to work out if that Parappa challenge was so unique and so fun that it's actually slightly higher. Yeah, I I had 85 down. That was sort of like my gut instinct and the majority of that was because I don't think I like loved it as much as I enjoyed last week's episode because I I quite enjoyed the Tomb Raider stuff last week, bitty though it was. But that also had like Blade Runner and and Final Fantasy 7 in and things like that. So I think I'm I'm sticking at 85 here, but I want actually no, just make it. It's a DeLorean episode. I'm going 88 on this one. I'm going to stick with 88 as well. It's definitely a DeLorean episode, but I will say that the highs of this episode are higher than the highs of the last episode. It just so happens the lows are a bit lower so it balances out i think so indeed yeah but that is going to wrap it up for this episode thank you all so much for listening you all rule you can find us on social media on twitter at under console pod on instagram at under dot console and you can send us an email to feedback at under and if you want to chat with us in real time chat with other listeners other fans of gaming and pop culture modern and old you can do so over on our discord server and you can support this podcast monetarily over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod where you'll get access to UCP Extra and our monthly community show Under Console Nation. At the £5 level, you will get next week's episode one week early and ad free. And at the £10 level, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what is that? At the £10 level, you get our golden glittery joystick waggler mug stuffed with stickers, badges, retro trading cards, sweeties, all that good stuff. And I wrap it up, I put it in a box, I attach postage, I take it to the post office, I put it in the post box, and then it's delivered to your door by a sentient wrapping kung fu onion. 
And a shout out to those £10 backers, Zach, Xanderthal, William, Tom, The Amazing Cliff, Super Sexy, David Fisher, Simon, Selena, Sean, Pink, Lithium, Richard, Retro Fun for Everyone, Reese, Phil, Stopford, Nick, Misha, Matty, Boom, Mark, Link, Liam, Kylie, Kevin, Joe Trigg, Joe Mitchell, Joe McGonagall, Jamie, Ian Williams, Ian Roberts, I am Cheadle, Harriet Manga Girl, Gordon Dempster, Gordon Brands, David White, David Palmer, Colin, Chrissy Two Sticks, Chris Arcadia Wild Bill, Andy, Andrew Greenwood, Andrew Cummings, Alexis, Adam Warrington, and Adam D. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days' time for episode three of series seven. Take care, everyone. Good night. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.